Thank you. It is very good to be back with you here at Marbley today. And Ann and I, my wife and I, have been praying for you over these last few months, just lifting you up to the Lord, heart aching for you over these last few months. And as I come to you today, I have one thing to share up front before we look to God's Word to see what God has to share with us today. And that is this. You can't change the past. There's nothing you can do about the past. But you can do something in the present that gives you hope for the future. And that really is what God's Word is speaking to us about today. So whether you're joining us by live video feed or whether it's you sitting in the seats today, I ask you to turn to Romans 8, to the New Covenant, Romans 8. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. And as you prepare for that, I want to give a special thanks to Tim for leading us in worship with the choir up here in such a creative way today. I wondered as close as choirs sit or stand, would they ever come back with this COVID-19? And what a creative way to do that. So thank you for preparing our hearts for receiving God's Word. We're looking at Romans 8, verses 18 through 25, and recognizing these are not just the words of the Apostle Paul. This is the inspired Word of God. In honor of God, let's stand now for the reading of God's Word in Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also would be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Father, as we stand before you today, the creator of the universe, our creator, and as we realize the earth pains that we're dealing with, as all of creation groans in these days, we pray that you will speak to us through your, through your eternal word. And knowing that you have prepared this message for all of us personally on this occasion, that we will receive your word into our heart, our minds, and our wills. And that our lives will be lived for you through the person of Jesus Christ. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
It's been a tough stretch. When COVID-19 hit in mid-March, when everything began to shut down, and then you had to face the loss of your pastor right as that was beginning, and then you think about the economic slowdown that occurred where some of you lost your jobs, some of you lost your businesses, the struggles that have gone on there economically, and then in late spring, in the midst of all this, increased racial tension with the horrific killing of a young man in South Georgia and the killing of George Floyd in Minnesota, and then with understandable outrage, what could have been peaceful protests turned into riots and looting, and in some cities, actually social anarchy. And then we see a blaming of law enforcement and a lack of respect for law enforcement. And in the midst of all of this, of what's going on, we see the division in our land. Not only has there been a political, ideological division that is almost split right down the middle in the United States of America, but here in COVID, amidst all that's going on, is a presidential election cycle. And the division tends to intensify. And then over the last week or two, these storms occur in East Texas and Southwest Louisiana. And you think about what is happening amidst all of this and the sadness and grief that Marbley has had over the loss of your pastor. And now today being reminded of the difficulties of another one of your pastors that you love. It's been a tough stretch. But here's what we want to remember today. As tough as life can be at different periods in your history and world history, it was not always that way. If you go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, you'll see that all of creation that the Apostle Paul is writing about, it was all good. Every part of it was good. Creation was in harmony with one another. Animals were in harmony with one another. When I occasionally watch a Discovery special and they show wild animals that are attacking other more defenseless animals and they say it's just how things are meant to be, I want to cry to the screen, no, it is not. That is not what God had in mind. There was harmony in the early days of creation among the animal kingdom. There was harmony with man and the animal kingdom. There was no such thing as wild animals. And man had the perfect environment and the perfect job and the perfect wife and the perfect marriage, the only perfect marriage in all of history. And man blew it. You read Genesis 3, and you see when original sin occurred, everything began to get out of whack in all of creation. Think about what happened immediately with man's sin. There was an immediate separation from God. There had never been separation from God. 
and there was immediate death spiritually within man that would lead to a physical death within mankind that permeates all of mankind and creation today. And when man sinned, man for the first time experienced shame and guilt. And when man sinned for the first time, we see the original cover-up of sin as Adam and Eve sought to cover themselves, feeling guilt before God. But not only that, as we think about that original cover-up, we see the mindset of a victimization and blame game that takes place. And oh, how our society is overrun with a victimization mindset. But we see it with the very first sin. Eve blames the snake. Adam blames Eve. Always looking for something else to blame. Taking on this victimization mindset. And then we see in Genesis 3, the battle of the sexes starts to take place and the tension between husband and wife that has not been there before with unrealistic expectations that both of them have for one another. And then we see the futility of work sets in. A lot of people say original sin brought man having to work. No, man had a great job before original sin. It was a fulfilling role, tending the garden. Work was perfect. Work was great. But after sin, there was a futility in work. No matter how hard man would work, there would be famines. There would be natural disasters to take place. There would be recessions. There would be depressions. And it would often feel futile no matter how hard man worked. But not only that, I have a hunch, and this is spiritual imagination on my part. This is not described in the Bible. But I have a hunch from the moment that man sinned without, within the animal kingdom, there was a shudder of fear that went through all the animals, and they experienced a fear that they had never known, a fear of man. And certain animals were the fear of other animals. Because when man sinned, all of creation was out of whack. And that is what the Apostle Paul is speaking of today. Now, look with me, if you will, beginning in verse 19. We'll come back to verse 18 in a moment. But look at verse 19 because it describes all of this. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, all of creation being out of whack... This is the earth pains that we're focusing on today. And it has created anxiety among mankind. It has created fear among mankind. Among mankind, there is just this sense that things just ain't as they're supposed to be. And because of that, there's this empty restlessness that mankind struggles with, this anxious longing, looking for the revealing of the sons of God, but most of mankind doesn't even know exactly what they're looking for. But we read on, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now understand this, the environment didn't bring about this sense of futility. The environment had nothing to do with it. Man and man's sin has brought about the sense of futility. The animal kingdom did not bring about this futility. Man's sin brought about this futility. So all through this wonderful creation of God that God described as being very good when he completed the six-day creation process, we see now that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. It wasn't its choice. But because of him who subjected, that is man's sin. That is the original sin of Adam and Eve that is described here. But it goes on in the Word of God in hope 
that the creation itself would also be set free from its slavery to corruption and the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, there is with mankind, there is within creation this desire, this some longing that the world can be different from how the world is and what we see it to be. Now, th- think about some events in history, just in recent history. Go back to the Revolutionary War. Why did the Revolutionary War occur here in the United States? Because mankind felt like that there was such corruption with the British Empire and King George III that this was our only hope. And thankfully, our founding fathers had some respect for God when they went about the founding of this nation, and we have been forever blessed by that. But still, it was man's desire to make things right. Near the same time in history, not far behind, came the French Revolution, where the church was seen as evil, and God was left out completely. And you look at the course of these two nations, it's a very different course, but both were motivated because there is this longing for a better world. Why is Les Mis such a popular musical to so many of us in describing this longing of mankind for a better day? You go to the Civil War, you see a nation divided over slavery. And you see this noble cause of the freeing of the slaves and preserving the union on behalf of Abraham Lincoln, on the part of Abraham Lincoln. Then you go to 1917, to the Russian Revolution, the Communist Revolution. Why did that come about? It was a longing of man in man's own strength to bring about this utopian type of society. What a disappointment that turned out to be. And then you go to the 1930s and the rise of Adolf Hitler. What was the motivation? It was the motivation for a third right, this special society in all of Europe. And look at the disaster that resulted. Absolute disaster and evil towards mankind that is hard to describe. And in recent days, whether it's Portland or Seattle or these cities with these, this anarchy occurring and these utopian scenes there of believing that We're going to end the corruption of mankind with this new utopian vision. It always ends in disaster, my friends. And sadly, even among Christians, even among Christians, in every presidential election cycle, there is the feeling that one side is going to be so just and end in the corruption here, and the other side is going to be so just and right and end the corruption here, and whoever is elected is going to solve the problems of the day. Don't kid yourself. Yes, this is a very important decision. But it's not going to even come close to ending how creation is groaning because the corruption of mankind because of man's sinfulness. So that's what is being talked about here. It's talking about how the creation itself wants to be set free from this slavery to corruption and have freedom from that. And man seeks to go about all of man's ways to bring that about. And God's Word goes on in verse 22, for we know that the whole of creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now, what does it mean to groan? To groan is to deal with pain, whether it may be physical pain, it may be emotional pain, it may be mental pain, whatever it may be, but it's a pain so deep that we just literally groan and having to deal with it. And Paul compares it to the pains of childbirth. Now, this is not original with Paul. Jesus is the one that gives this analogy. Later on, 
Read Matthew 24, especially verses 4 through 14, when the disciples are sitting with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, looking out over Jerusalem, and they ask him, tell us about the signs of your coming again. And he begins to give them signs of his coming. He talks about there will be an increase in the number of false messiahs of Christ as well as false prophets. He talks about the fact that there will be wars and rumors of wars. He talks about the fact that there will be increase in natural disasters. And he says these will be like birth pains. Now, I've got a confession to you. I've never experienced birth pains. I never have. But I have a feeling there's some women in this room who have experienced birth pains. And even though I've never experienced birth pains, my wife has. We have three sons. She's told me all about it. And I've watched her go through it. Now, one of the things you learn about birth pains, especially those of you who've given birth to a child, you know that when they begin, very often they're kind of light. You kind of feel a little funny. You're not even sure birth pains are beginning. It's kind of irregular. And then the closer you come to the birth of that child, the more intense they become and the more regular they become. Now, listen, are you listening? Don't miss this, what Jesus is telling us. All of these signs he talks about in Matthew 24 that are signs about the leading of his second coming, they occurred in the first century with the first disciples. But the difference is the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus, the more regular and the more intense these signs are going to be. Think about just this year. Think about the hurricane season. Think about how it's affected East Texas and Southwest Louisiana. We're all the way to naming a hurricane by the letter M, and we're not even through August. They start in late May when they normally start in late August. All these signs, the intensification and the more regular demonstration of these signs, that is what the Apostle Paul is talking about, like birth pains. But here's the thing about birth pains. When the child is finally born, with the joy of the birth of that new life, my wife has told me that even though she can remember the birth pains, she quickly forgets the birth pains. And that is what God's Word is telling us as we lead to the events that come to the second coming of Jesus Christ, that even though the pains and the groaning of creation, the earth pains and the groaning of creation are going to get worse and worse and more and more intense and more and more regular. When Christ comes again to at last make the world what we all long it to be, the kingdom of God as it already is today in heaven will be realized here on earth. That's a glorious thought. Now go to verse 18 to see about this hope. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's been a tough stretch, a tough stretch for Marbley Baptists, a tough stretch for many of you. But it's been a tough stretch for people all over the world, the whole world. And what God's Word is reminding us of is the sufferings of this present time are temporal. If, now listen, are you listening? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, they are temporal. If you're not a follower of Christ, they can be eternal. If you reject Christ, if you're not a part of the kingdom of God, if you've not come to salvation in Christ, 
There is eternal suffering you're in store for. But for the follower of Christ, all sufferings, no matter how intense the groaning and the pain may be, they are temporal. And compared to the glory of God to come that we will see face to face, there's no comparison. Skip down to verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now, understand this. When a person receives Christ as their Lord and Savior, we receive a special gift. Yes, we receive forgiveness of sins. That's awesome. We are made right with God. That's incredible because we're sinners. It's hard to grasp. We receive the gift of eternal life, victory over death. That is indescribable. But we also receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwelling within us that begins to pr produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Read it there in Galatians 5. And what you see in the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit and the character of Jesus. This is what is called sanctification. I know it's a big theological term, but sanctification is really just about becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what happens when we begin to receive, when we receive Christ and begin to grow in our relationship with God through Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings about this life transformation. It is wonderful. Now, I don't know where any of you folks are really spiritually, only God and you know. But in a room this large with so many people here, there are bound to be people here that really don't have a relationship with Christ or you know that you're just unsettled. You're not sure of your salvation. Well, the good news is we can be completely sure through trusting Christ to have not only done all that needs to be done so that we could be forgiven of our sins by dying in our place and taking the punishment we deserve for our sins on the cross, but also believing that he is the son of God that has conquered sin and death and we will as well. So if you have not made that decision to trust Christ, if you go to bed at night just wondering if you died in the night, would you wake up in heaven? Let me tell you some great news. You can be absolutely sure that you're going to be with God forever and that whatever suffering you face in this life is temporal because it doesn't even come close to comparing to the glory of God that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And yet we see in verse 23 that even when we have the Holy Spirit, even when we have these wonderful gifts of salvation in Jesus Christ, we ourselves groan. Now why is that? Well, we groan because of our own sin. No matter how much we grow in Christ, we still have this sinful heart that we wrestle with. And if you don't believe that, just pick up your Bible later today and read Romans 7, verse 14 following to the end of the chapter. Let me give you a summary of what Paul says in those 14 or 15 verses. He basically says this, dang, I did it again. That's really what he says. I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do. How can it be? I mean, this is the greatest missionary, the greatest theologian in the history of the church, the greatest church planner in the history of the church. And he's basically saying, how in the world can I do this again? But that's all of us. 
If the Apostle Paul felt like that as a mature follower of Jesus Christ, I guarantee you we deal with the same thing, and it causes us to groan, even with all the gifts of salvation in Jesus Christ. It causes us to groan. But we not only groan because of the sin within ourselves, we groan because of the sins of others. And sins in this world, you read the news, you watch the news day in and day out, it just, it just makes you groan with how things are and the earth pains that are out there and creation groaning out there. It makes us all groan. And here's where it's especially tough. Listen, are you listening? The groaning of the Christian is especially tough in the sins of others when it is within the body of Christ. Because we know this is not how it's supposed to be. And it creates an agonizing groan within us. How can that be? But that's what Paul is talking about here. That's what he's talking about. He says, even though we have the fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. What's he talking about? You see, right before Jesus' second coming, when he comes in judgment on the Antichrist and the millions of followers of the Antichrist and the nations that have followed him, he's going to come for his church. And it is that point that we receive a new body, a body that is like Jesus' resurrected body. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 15, that great chapter on the resurrection, verse 20. Listen to the word of God. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Now, what is this talking about? In other words, the resurrected body of Jesus is the first fruits of what every follower of Jesus Christ will one day experience. And when Jesus comes for his church, we receive a new body that is like Christ's body. Now, what does that mean? That means it's a new body that will not get sick, which means it will not get dead ever, which means that we'll have enough energy and joy to do all that we call to do. The burnout and fatigue that's so much a part of our culture, it's over, buddy, buddy. it's history at that point. But not only that, look at Jesus after his resurrection. He enjoyed a good fish fry with the disciples on the beach, enjoyed a good meal. But not only that, he walked through walls. He appeared and disappeared. That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. Now, ask yourself, what, what, what's that resurrected body going to be like? I'm in my 60s. I hope it's not somebody in their 60s. <laughs> when I wake up every morning as stiff and sore as I am, I, I hope it's not that. I, even beyond that, think about 80s or 90s. Some of you are there. Oh, my goodness. You don't want your body redeemed like that. I think about 25 or 30 would be about right. Don't you think? Something like that. I, I don't know what it'll be. But what God's Word is saying is that we have this longing for a redemptive body that never ages, that never gets sick, that never gets dead. That will be incredible. But that's not all. Read on, verse 24. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Now, as creation groans, as we experience the earth's pain, 
as they are evident in the animal kingdom to the howling of the winds in Hurricane Laura, to what's going on in our spirit, to the difficulties we would have to live with, we have hope because we are saved through what Christ has done for us on the cross. Not what we are doing, not the good we try to become, but because of what Jesus has done through his death on the cross in paying the penalty for our sin, and not only that, rising from the dead so that we may conquer death as well and live with the hope that one day he is coming for his church to give us a newly redeemed body like his. And one day, at last, here on earth, all of creation will know that things have been made right as they're supposed to be. And because of that, Marvelly Baptist, no matter what kind of tough times you have faced, no matter what kind of tough times you're going to face, whether it is individually, whether it's corporately as a body, whether it is the worldwide church of Jesus Christ, we have hope that allows us to persevere in the present because of what God is going to do in our lives and through our lives and through his church in the future. Think about it this way. Just th think about what this means. When a person has received salvation in Jesus Christ, we have the hope of heaven. In other words, our physical bodies give out, but our soul that is eternal lives forever with the Lord. One day when Christ returns, and you can read about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, it tells you the events of the rapture of the church. When Christ returns, then he gives us a new redeemed body. So when we die now, our souls with the Lord in heaven. We can't quite picture what all that means, but we just know we're in the presence of Jesus. And then when Jesus comes for his church, we receive a new body, a resurrected body. And then Jesus brings judgment on evil. And deep down inside, folks, we know in our longing is this desire to end the corruption that is within the creation of God because of man's sin. And that means judgment for mankind that is unwilling to repent. And when Christ comes for his church, he gives us the opportunity to return with him when he brings judgment on evil, and you will see the church and a redeemed Israel that will come together and celebrate Christ's reign from Jerusalem, from the throne of David in Jerusalem. And at last, at last, the world will be what God had in mind for the world to be in the first place. At last it will be. Listen to this. Turn in your Bibles very quickly to Isaiah, the great prophet. Isaiah the prophet, chapter 11. Almost 700 years before the incarnation, before Christ was born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 11, verse 4, it begins to tell us about what it's going to be like when Christ begins to reign here on earth. And we'll just read a few of these verses. Verse 6, listen to God's word. This is what it's going to be like. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. 
Also the cow and the bear will graze. The young will lie down together. And listen to this, the lion will eat straw like the ox. And listen to this, the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. The weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. That's the Messiah. That is Jesus who will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting place will be glorious. Imagine that. The prophet Micah goes on also about 700 years before the birth of Christ. Just a couple of verses in Micah 4, verse 2 through 3. Listen to this. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. What is the mountain of the Lord? That's Jerusalem. And to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways. In other words, Christ, can you imagine all of us being taught in person through the word of God, Jesus? He may teach us about his ways, that we may walk in his paths. Far from Zion, that is Jerusalem, will go forth the law of God. Even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. And listen to this, listen to this. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nation will not lift up sword against nation, and there will never again train for war. Can you imagine that? All the weapons from nuclear weapons to rockets, to chemical warfare, all this is finished. And all of man's materials from the environment will be used for productivity as plowshares for the good of the creation that God originally created as good. My friends, this is going to be glorious. And you don't want to miss it. So if you've not received salvation in Jesus Christ, this is the day. Don't wait any longer. Come to the Lord and say, look, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I've been blaming all the things in my life because of the bad things that other people do, especially in the church. But Lord, I see I've been needing to look to Jesus. Not to the flaws of man, but Jesus recognize that only you can save me through what Jesus has done for me on the cross and through his resurrection. And then when we begin to follow Jesus and trust Jesus and obey Jesus and submit to his will, then we begin to have a small part, but an important part in helping this world, God's creation, to be more of what God wants it to be. And the earth pains in our life and others' lives begin to be a bit diminished. And we persevere in this even though it's hard and even though it's swimming upstream because of the hope that we have, not just of heaven, but Jesus returning to redeem our bodies and to at last make the world what we long for it to be. Don't miss it. Be sure your trust is in Jesus today. Let's pray. Father God.
Like Adam and Eve, we botch things up over and over because of our sin. In all of creation, not just mankind, but the animal kingdom, the environment, all of your creation suffers because of our sin. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for the salvation we can have. And for those who haven't had it before this service today or watching us by live video feed, may they right now just cry out to you, Lord, forgive me of my sins as I've been so focused on other people's sins. Lord, may you forgive my sins. And I believe that Jesus has paid the penalty for my sins. And I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. Right now, I'm going to trust Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who made that decision earlier, Holy Spirit, may you fill us afresh now. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with more and more of your fruit, that spirit and character of Jesus, so that creation can become more of what it want, we long for it to be. And Lord, we thank you for this hope, this hope of where things are headed in Jesus, this hope of knowing that whatever disappointments and sufferings we face it's all temporal in this life when we follow Jesus oh Lord fill us afresh with your hope today and in the process may we persevere may Marbley Baptist persevere through these tough days to be the people of faith to be the people of Jesus that you're calling us to be Lord, we give you this prayer in Jesus' name.